You are now tuned into the School of Higher Thought podcast, where we explore the realm of personal development. We aim to upgrade your life through lessons learned from your personal experience. Episodes are released every Sunday. For more updates and other empowering content, please follow our other social medias in the description below. I hope you've got your notepads ready. Class is in session. Good morning, family. Today, me and Zach are bringing on one of the most accomplished 22, in fact, 21-year-olds that I've, I think, I actually genuinely think that this individual is the most accomplished 21-year-old that I personally know from his economical intelligence to his real-life intelligence and his overall accomplishments when it comes to everything he's doing so far. I'm talking about this individual worked at a top three investment banks no names top three he also dropped 96 lots for the traders 96 lots on the queen's birthday just because he loves the queen that much (laughs) so with no further introduction we introduce the pip dealer well gone pip thank you for for the very kind introduction i mean you know i'm very much flattered about how you kind of introduce me. Um, I'm pretty sure there's other 21 year olds that are probably more accomplished than me, but I'll take I'll take what you're saying. Um, I'm glad to be here, guys. Listen, I'm happy to kind of you know speak about my experiences, speak about you know things that I believe you know could be able to help you guys. You know, being able to kind of help you guys in not just society, uh, but also I guess trading as well, your day to day life um, and everything really. Um, so yeah, it's a pleasure for me to be here, and I, I can't wait to get on with it. All right, cool. So before we get into the actual, you know, meat and potatoes of this podcast, could you give us a little breakdown on how you were raised, your upbringing, where you're from, you know, ethnicity-wise and location-wise, and just a general breakdown on your upbringing, on your upbringing? Sure, most definitely. I mean, this is a, I guess it's a question that a lot of people um, love to ask me because they're always surprised when I kind of um, answer this, but... First of all, I'm black, you know, a lot of people think I'm white for some reason, but I'm black. Um, I, I, my child was a bit of a, um, let's say a bit of a, it was two parts to it, right? So my early part of my childhood, I was going to school in a state school, a school in, what well, was in Tottenham. Um, so it wasn't the greatest of schools, it um, definitely wasn't the worst of schools either. But there's a lot of stuff that was going around, you know, um, you know, a lot of illegal stuff happening outside the school doors, you know, they kind of, you know, the, the things that happen in, let's say, schools in the hood, basically. Um, so I've experienced that. But then when I was around 16, 17, oh, 16, well, I shouldn't say 17, 16 years of age, I went to private school. Um, so my private school is actually Westminster. Um, and I basically came to, um, you know, came to meet a whole different section of society. So, you know, a lot of the things that I kind of learned from before, while I was in state school, was kind of looked down upon. So, of course, I listened to certain types of music. So around that time, you know, when I was like, 11, 15, 16, whatever. I was into a lot of, you know, rap drill, you know, whether it be Lowski, whether it be, you know, C Biz. I'd be listening to that kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. Now, of course, when I went to private school now, that kind of thing wasn't, you know, it wasn't the norm. So they would kind of see me as a bit different um, to what they were. So of course I had to accommodate myself to, to fit that kind of criteria. Um, but I think, you know, having these two kind of experiences 
you know, it kind of puts me in a different path because I can see different sides of the story and I can actually speak about it, speak on it because I basically lived part of it because I've seen what's happened around me. I've had friends who have fallen into certain things. I've also had friends whose partners are flipping, you know, uh, hedge fund managers and so on and so forth. So I've seen both sides of the um, both sides of the river, and um, I think it's made me into the person I am today. Um, currently, I'm actually in university right now as well. Um, I'm in university. I'm in my last year, so I guess in a month's time, I'm basically finished. Um, I was in a top three investment bank last year. I mean, um, I was there for about three months, and then this after after this month or so next month, I'm going to be going back to another bank, which is in a different kind of um, division, um, to um, basically work there. So full time, I'm going to be working there. Um, and yeah, so that's basically me in a little bit of a nutshell. I lived a bit of a, I wouldn't say a difficult life. Um, you know, whatever I wanted, my parents got it for me. I had everything that was new, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, iPhones, you know, Blackberry Bold. I used to have not even the ones that everyone had, had the most expensive ones, phones, everything. Um, so my experience is a bit different, even though I did, I did go to school in the hood, but of course I'm here today. And I guess a lot of people can still learn um, from how I was able to get to where I am today, I guess. so. Most definitely. Um, so how did you cope with going from being where you're from and then going into private school? Because it's a completely different realm for you. And a lot of people struggle with being able to adapt into new crowds. And I know that um, me and myself, I'm I'm young, black, I'm from South, um, South London, but I moved to Brighton to go to university. And it's a completely different realm for me. So I've had to adapt as well. But some people struggle to adapt. So what was it that helped you to adapt into? I don't know, really. In your um, private school. Oh, apologies, I didn't hear. Um, but yeah, um, I don't know, really. Um, I would say it's a bit of a weird one, right, for me, because I would say, um, what's it? Like, when I first started, right, I was just the way I am. Even throughout the whole two years, I was just the way I am. I just kind of adapted myself throughout the middle. Um, mm -hmm. So my first year, I remember the first few weeks when I was there, and there was a girl, right, she's an Asian girl, um, she came up to me, she's like, why did you come to the school? Like, generally, like, why did you come to the school in, in an offensive way? Um, and because at the time I was talking a lot, you know, I was, you know, class clown. You know, mm. some people might say, oh, this guy's from the hood, so he must act in a certain type of way. Um, so she genuinely came and asked me that question, and I was kind of offended. I was like, I didn't say anything back to her, but I kind of deeped her, right? If she's asked me questions like, you know, why are you at this school? Then it means what I'm doing must be wrong. Like, the things I'm doing, it isn't... It, you know, it shouldn't be like that. So um, I kind of think about it that when I think when I say living, I'm not living, but going to school in Tottenham was a thing where you know, let's say crime, for example, is glorified. Um, and there's no two ways about it; it's definitely glorified. Um, and when I was going to then six private school, sixth form, um, a lot of that stuff I was still post on on social media, right? Like Snapchat. Um, of course, you know, someone did this, someone did that. You know, you kind of you know, con not congratulating, but it's almost like you're celebrating something happening. Um, this whole kind of uh, you know, post-God wars and all sorts of things. Um, there was a lot to it. And I kind of thought to myself, after like my first year or my first six months, I was like to myself, I can't bring everything that, you know, I used to do before back in the day. I can't bring it to where I am right now because I just won't fit in. Yes, I can speak to a lot of people. Yes, a lot of people, well, eventually they did eventually love me. Um, but I can't just go into this thinking, you know, I have to go with the same mindset. I have to change it because where I was before, you know, the mindset was different, right? Everybody... You know, some people are okay being average. Some, you know, it was a, a lot of focus on girls, a lot of focus on, you know, gangs and things outside of the school. But now I'm in sixth form, that is no longer the focus. We had a lot of people there whose parents had paid a shit ton of money to get into that place. Um, 
and you know it wasn't a place where you can muck about like everybody there was on their kind of you know on their grinds like i'm you know even when i was doing an internship last year i went to um the internship with a few people who were already at my sixth form as well so they're going to places big places as well so i kind of thought myself it was like a brief uh, like a, let's say a thought that kind of went like it was it was quite fleeting and i kind of said to myself you know i have to do something about the way i'm acting maybe i don't have to change myself but i have to kind of limit some of the stuff i'm doing and kind of attribute myself to the way they are so i kind of looked around saw what they did so what they didn't do and kind of you know changed it so like, even the way i speak right now when i was back then i was using a lot more slang a lot more slurs to it i kind of said you have to turn it turn it down a bit on snapchat i'll post certain kind of things material um and i said you know let me just kind of tone it down a bit you know be calm be smooth even on um Instagram, I, I post a lot of stuff in like track suits or, you know, kind of, I guess you could say hood um, outfits, which there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but of course I said, you know, I have to kind of change the way I, I dress, right? I can't go to a party or motive where everybody there is wearing, you know, what's it called? Uh, I, I don't know, but let's just say they're wearing, you know, clothes that, you know, are, are best fit for private school kids. Like, and I'll run up a track suit that's looking all kind of nice or a tech lease. Like I look out of place and I was like to myself, I have to kind of change the way not change the way I am fully, but towards them, I have to be almost like a different type of person. Um, and that's what basically got me through. Like for the first couple months, it was a bit of a rocky kind of start. That girl, of course, said that to me. Um, but I think a lot of people generally liked me. So it wasn't like a thing where they kind of went out of their way to kind of, you know, say certain things. But it would just be like little comments here and there. I wouldn't say racial comments, but it would be comments like, you know, one guy, um, his dad was a, a shipping magnet in, in Greece, like a massive one. He was even, I can't really say what he did, but he owned a sports club in the UK somewhere. Um, and he even came up to one of these, uh, we have some things called societies, right? So we just like a club basically, um, and there's politics. He came up to me, he's like, oh, not to me. Um, he said to the whole class, like, if my my father was the highest one with dreads, for example, I wouldn't take him because it's dirty. Um, and it, it'll be stuff like that, comments like that, right? That kind of thought mm -hmm. myself, right? If I really want to get into this kind of circle, I can't be revolutionary. I can't say I want to bring my own kind of stuff. I can't say I want to, you know, be who I am. I have mm -hmm. to kind of make myself fit into what they want and go by like that. And by the end of the two years, everybody loved me. Like if you, if I had a video about it, I'm not gonna get it right now, but they gave me three awards. I think it was three or four awards, like, you know, awards such as, you know, most likely to end up in Jeremy Kyle, the funniest guy, you know, um, the most flirtatious guy. Um, don't ask me about that one, but yeah. So it was a thing where, a lot of them saw me at the start and they saw how I changed. And, you know, I, and that's became one of them. Uh, maybe I changed myself when I was in their kind of presence. But I want to say mm. I changed myself completely to fit the way that they wanted me to fit. But more so like adapted yourself. Yeah, adapted. Yeah, it's the right word. Thank you. Mm. So, Pip, one thing yeah. that I was going to say is obviously, like you highlighted, you're black and mm -hmm. you've seen both sides of the spectrum not many young black boys especially just going off a, i guess a statistical probability will experience or even be able to conceive thinking of the experience that you went through seeing this kind of i guess wealthier side to life so in distinction between you know seeing how people think in the hood and how people think in more middle class or upper class backgrounds what would you say are some key characteristics in how the wealthy think versus the quote-unquote people from the hood think? I would say first, first thing first is appearance, right? A lot of people who are, I don't want to say working class people, 
are more focused on how they look as opposed to what they actually have. Um, and I think that's what affects a lot of people, their finances and the way they actually go about life. So when I was in, you know, uh, private school, sometimes we go into kind of like, you know, parties, whatever. The girls or the guys have some Air Forces, white Air Forces that look mash up. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody knows this. I've seen it on Twitter or Instagram somewhere. Air Forces look really <laughs> dirty, disgusting. And like, I see some of these Air Forces and I'm like, I wouldn't even wear that. Like, it's disgusting. Like, how, if it gets like a tad bit dirty, I just throw away in the bin or I just, you know, throw it away somewhere in my house. And I see these guys just wearing it like that. And I kind of thought to myself, these guys didn't really think too much about those kind of things. Like, you don't think about buying, okay, cool, I got, let's say, a thousand pounds. Let me go buy that Montclair jacket or that kind of goose jacket. Now, nah, like, to them, it's not really much of a problem. Like, if they want to buy it, then cool, by all means. But fashion and sort of stuff like that wasn't a focus on them. And another thing I kind of learned um, when it comes to that kind of section is that if you look at a lot of their parents, right, a lot of the parents weren't even driving cars that, you know, were kind of, you know, I guess you could say, fancy or luxury like it was cars that was just average everyday cars the only time you see maybe on the off kind of occasion like a kid would get dropped to school in a bentley or he'll get uber on a range rover some ridiculous like that but it was like a daily occurrence an everyday thing and because everybody knew what their parents like what their salaries or what their kind of wealth was like so they didn't have to kind of you know force other people to see how much they're worth i didn't have to say okay cool listen i got this gucci bag i'm I, i'm rich like nah like it never happened like you know, we had some stuff like that where, you know, some guy went to, what's it called? Um, he went to Burberry at, half, at lunchtime to go get a girl a jacket or something to buy it because she, he liked the girl. We just had some ridiculous stuff like that, yes, but it wasn't like a, everyone forced that kind of image. And I think that's why um, when it comes to stuff like Instagram, um, social media, a lot of people from like working class backgrounds are easily coerced into, I wouldn't say scams, but into people who look great. Um, even though their content that they're producing isn't necessarily great. Like if I was to go out right now and to go and buy a Lamborghini from the dealer shop and to drive around and maybe I wear like a Louis Vuitton top, a Louis Vuitton shoes, um, I actually have a couple of my wardrobe right now actually that could you know show that it would be perfect for this kind of image <laughs> I'm creating. Um, and if I have a Lamborghini and so on and so forth, I could be like, listen guys, look, I'm, I'm starting my, my first course, whatever, boom, everybody will start joining up. Why? Because appearance is everything to them. Nobody wants to look at the backbone, the, like, you know, the things behind, but they want to know, you know, what you look like. If you look rich, then to them, you are rich when it doesn't necessarily isn't the case. For me, a lot of the people who are rich looked broke. Like they didn't, it didn't really look like much. Like it didn't, you would look at them in, in the streets and think to yourself, what the hell is this? Some of them will wear like cotton or things that look old or whatever. And you like, you look like come from a thrift shop or a thrift shop, basically like, you know, mm -hmm. one of them, you know, charity shops. Um, and you'll kind of see it and you'll be like, this person ain't rich. So that's that's one key thing I kind of learned that I think affects everything. Because if you if you look at other people being rich and you want to be like them, that also kind of forces you to kind of do whatever you, it takes for you to get to that stage. Um, and then um, that means, you know, blowing or raising your money on stuff that you could have used for yourself. So like, for example, buying a Lamborghini, you could have used that money you buy for Lamborghini for like, let's say 10 years or 15 years of your kid going to private school, something like that um so that's number one number two i'll say um another another key thing that i'll I say i learned is the fact that connections right a lot of these guys have connections everywhere um so actually the, the role i have right now or i'm going to be starting in, in, in month's time it was because i knew somebody who worked at a company whose whose father worked there and they needed somebody so they said you know pip how about we get you in 
you know, you could a trial run. I know it wasn't a thing that you kind of started off with, but we'll give you a trial run. You kind of see wow. what it's like. If you don't like it, you do like it, you know, come in or stay. So that's how things are. And, you know, I think when it comes to lower class, I'm not going to say lower class because it's a really bad term to use, but working class. <laughs> um, is That's the right word. But yeah, working class. Um, there's a thing where, you know, if you want to believe in a cycle, right, cycle poverty, you can't break out of cycle poverty because there isn't that one person to kind of pull other people up. Um, so like, you know, you have a lot of people who have, let's say, single mother, like single mother parents. So that means there's no like father figure, figure or there's no, like, there's no mentor there to kind of guide them in the right direction. Um, so that means they, the mentor that they can find, they're probably going to be in the street. The people who do have those, you know, nice cars and, and drip, whatever, but get from legal means. Um, and that's like a key difference because when you look at people from like more middle, upper class, they always have that mentor or that idol or that father figure that's always there to pull in the right direction, even if everything's going bad for them. Like some of these guys, right? I know some guy who, who left um, with like two, not two levels, like one A level and the rest of them were like fails. Like he had he did four A levels and one A level passed like a C, rest were fails, but he was able to get um, a, a job in corporate. Why? Because he had connections. And that's why I think it's key as a working class person, if you're like the first of your family or the first in your kind of neighborhood, to kind of make sure you are the one that's raising the bar and pushing everybody up, putting everyone up with you, um, because it's going to help in the long run. So that's why I always kind of do my best to kind of give back to my community, um, to the primary school I went to, the secondary school I went to. I go there, speak to, speak to kids, um, you know, I try to help them get to where I am. Like, at least have someone there as a mentor, like, you know, someone they can call and say, you know, Pip, I, I'm looking to get to this university. I can't find a role. Can you help me, please? And I'll be, you know, more than happy to help them. And I think when there's working class, you go to some people go to universities like Leicester or you know, you know that kind of university, DMU. It's difficult for them to get a role in corporate because there's so many people on top of them. Whereas if you have that connection, you can go to the worst university in the country, but you'll be able to get a role. So that's thing. That's one another big thing I kind of see as a difference, right? That you know, connections. You know, I guess you can call it nepotism. We need to turn that nepotism into black nepotism, into hood nepotism, mm. you know, get people who are in, let's say, unfortunate conditions, situations, pull them up and, like, you know, pay it forward, basically. You pull them up, they pull someone else up, and it keeps going on and on and on. Because I, I swear, like, some of the people that are in the banks, right, they're not smart, but they're there because they knew somebody, and that's what matters. Like, you don't need to have money. You don't even need to have, you know, knowledge. It's just who you know. Simple. Most definitely. So those are the two main key things I'll say I learned from I learned from you know speaking or even being around these guys. And another one I guess you could say is um, versatility. You know, needing to knowing how to speak to different type of people. I think I can kind of speak about this later in more depth. But you know, when I was there, I knew how to speak to people from you know the hood. I guess you can say, and also the people who were in private school as well. And that's I think, I think that's something that's key. You know, you come across somebody for the first time. How do I speak to this person? Because I'm not going to speak to you the same way I'm going to speak to them. Um, because, you know, we, you're, you're totally two different people. I might come to you and I might say certain words, like, you know, the N-word, for example. Um, but to them, I'm not going to go to, let's say, a white dude and say, oh, my N-word, my N-word. It doesn't make sense. It, it, they, they can't relate to that. They don't mm. really care about that kind of thing. But mm. I might go to speak to them about horse racing, um, horse riding or tennis or golf. But to you, I might come and talk about football. So it's just knowing, you know, when you're speaking to a certain person, what am I going to say to that person? Being versatile, you know, not being rigid in your ways. But I think I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that more a bit later. But those are the three main key things that I say I kind of learned from being around, you know, people in private school. 
Mm. You know what, though? Your first lesson reminded me of uh, an event that I went to last night. And it was basically a celebrity MMA event, right? So there's loads of people from different spaces within the media industry. So there's people from, let's take, for example, Love Island. You've got people like Little Man. You've got people like, um, I don't know if you know A2 Funny. You've got like some comedians there, some heavyweight um, champion boxers. And what I found inside of this event was that a lot of the people there who had the least were doing the most with their appearance. Some of the people were wearing fake designer bags. Some of the people were wearing fake jewelry. And it's like, you can actually tell just by looking at it. Because you know when you see diamonds, you know it's real diamonds. When you see fake diamonds, you know they're fake. They're quite obvious most of the time. Whereas when I met, when I met with the guy who actually owned the event and I met some other people who were making millions off of social media, they literally wore the most plainest clothes. You know, they're literally wearing just shirt and jeans, you know, and it, it astounded me because it really highlights the different mindsets. And it's like, it's almost like they're trying to prove something to people who don't have the money. They're trying to prove that they belong in that space. Whereas the people who have it, they don't really give a toss. You know, they're already there. They already have got all of the things that they need. They're not really trying to prove anything. And I, I liked um, the second point that you put in as well, because well, not the second one, the, the last one that you, that you proposed about being able to be versatile and being able to talk to different people from different backgrounds. Because it's just like how where you go to another country and you speak to another person in their home language, they will be a lot more welcoming to you. And also you can understand each other a lot better if you speak the same language. But if there's that language barrier, you two will never be able to truly communicate ideas and, and build true bonds. So, you know, that in itself is an essential skill, and I think people need to really pay attention to that. I can't wait for you to talk about that earlier, um, not earlier, later on in the podcast. And yeah. leading on from that, so you came from Tottenham, you went to a private school, and then you ended up at a top-tier investment bank. What was it that built up towards that? Like, Because it's not a thing that, you know, the random, the, the average person just thinks, yeah, I'm just going to go into an, an investment bank. What was it that drove you to learn about economics and investments and financial literacy to even be put into that kind of environment i would say so the way i guess you could say the last 10 years have kind of panned out is a bit um a bit of an odd one right so during my let's say teenage years i guess for everybody else as well i had different kind of careers dreams i want to get i get by so at some point you know i wanted to become a web developer and i was pretty good at doing that I was become a software engineer at some time as well. I was pretty good at working with Python as well. Um, at some point, I wanted to become a graphic designer. I'm quite good at manipulating pictures as well, marketing as well. Um, and then at some point, I wanted to be a doctor, then a politician, then a lawyer, and then they became a banker the second year of university. Um, but I think as everything has just changed, the way I, things have kind of panned out over the last like, couple of years, I was trading since I was 17. Um, so I had been in the game for some, some while. Um, but I guess it's a lot different when it comes to institution. But I kind of just, you know, I guess around university time, I had a friend who actually, he did history and he ended up in a bank trading, you know, um, equity derivatives, so a lot of complicated products. Um, and, you know, I spoke to him and I was in politics at the time, politics and history. I was like, how are you able to do that, make that jump? I didn't do any maths or finance in, in you know, for A-levels, I did straight, you know, English, French, history and politics. That's it. I did philosophy as well and I dropped it. Um, but I was like, you know, I came from that and I was like, you know, if you can use that to leverage yourself into a bank, then why not? Because the way I was looking at it, to get into politics, 
I'm gonna need to do a lot of legwork. I'm gonna need to be, you know, one of many. I'm gonna need to be, I guess, like 600 MPs. I'm gonna need to be one of that 600 plus the amount of different people that there are just trying to nominate themselves for a local kind of constituency. And I speak to myself, I don't even know if I, that's really something I wanna do. Yes, I love studying it, but, you know, a lot of that, a lot of legwork to kind of get to that kind of stage. And, you know, I just spoke to my friend about it. He did history. I didn't want to become a teacher. That um, I, I like my teachers, yes, but it's not something I wanted to do. Um, so I was like, you know, why not give it a crack? You know, I applied to many different banks. Um, a lot of people will be quite, you know, astonished, but I applied to about 40 banks, um, 40 banks and, and, and corporate firms as well in, in general. And I got offers to interviews to eight, and I only got offers to three, um, and I picked one. So when a lot of, when I when I say how I got here, it wasn't easy. Like you know, there's I spent countless hours trying to apply to these things, doing like, these really stupid tests, like, annoying maths tests, you know, numerical tests. Um, I don't know, judgment tests. You name it, I had I, I done the test, um, and I only got to well, I guess three three offers from that, and mm. that's how I got to where I am. Really, um, it was a thing where it just I guess in first year, but after I spoke to my friend, it just clicked. You know, I just said I want to be there. You know, because. If I'm going to be here, then where else should I be? Like, I think it's the best suit for me. Um, so that's it, really. That's really amazing. From 40 to 8 to 3. Applying for 40 different kind of, I guess, potentialities and to get all the way down to 3. Not many people would have the the heart to apply to 40 different places. And then 8 out of 40 is a very small number and then from three to eight is even smaller but within that you literally managed to secure one of the top three investment banks around that is amazing What's you need to big yourself up for that for real <laughs> because you know when you i think it's kind of a hood mentality to kind of diminish the success of people who have had better upbringings and you know better childhoods than others because people kind of look at it from an egotistical sense and try to compare their own upbringing to other people's so they can have that kind of I guess edge on human vanity and be like yeah look at me I did all of this I struggled and then came out on top but applying for 40 different places is not easy regardless of who you are mm. so to even for you to secure something that's amazing now the way I came about you was actually hearing about you through social media. And the first thing that I saw when I went on your Twitter is that you called yourself a black economist. Now, to get into the subject of economics, firstly, why do you emphasize that you're a black economist? And then could you break down what, and I know this is quite an ambiguous question, but what economics actually is for the average individual who's not aware of this? Most definitely. Um, uh, well, I think the, the most important thing for me is I call myself a black economist because I'm black and I think it's, you know, in this kind of side of things, economics, you know, markets, trading, you don't necessarily see loads of black people in that kind of space. And I think it's quite easy to kind of point that out. Um, yes, you might, when you go to the actual banks, you might see that being the case, but I've scoured through Twitter and so on and so forth. Um, and you don't necessarily see people who are black who actually touch upon certain issues. So yes, they might talk about trading. Okay, I did this, this here's my chart. But nobody's really willing to go into the kind of nitty gritties um, about what's going on in the markets and the economy as a whole. Um, and of course, even forget about trading, if you look at pure economics, like economical research or, you know, um, 
equity research teams as well. Um, they are basically not things that you know you see a lot of black people in, like rarely, even on the sell side. And then even when you get to hedge funds and private equity as well, I mean, private equity do have it. You never really see this kind of thing. It's like a closed off kind of thing. And I feel it's important for me to kind of give my points, give my side of things, um, and kind of dumb it down for the average user. Because even if there was to be a black economist um, or big one out there, he wouldn't or he or she wouldn't uh, kind of you know attribute what he's writing or what she's writing to the average person. It would just be more for an institutional kind of um, basis or probably even be allowed to kind of release it to the public anyways. So I felt me being able to kind of write about these things, I can break it down and dumb it down for the average person. Um, and I do my best to kind of do it. Whenever I have a thread, I always kind of break down the words I'm about to use and, you know, make sure people really understand what's going on. A lot of people just, you know, write threads and they don't really explain what's going on. So you read some of it and you're confused if you're not actually tuning what's going on. Um, and yeah, so to your second question, I would say so economics is a bit of a bit of a big question, but it's basically, you know, production, I guess you could say distribution and consumption of goods and services um in basically in the economy, basically how individual individuals, businesses, and I guess you could say governments as well, governments is, is a key part as well, um, how they basically um consume, how they basically produce, and basically how they um distribute what they are basically um, making in economies of goods and services for other people as well. Um, but economics is not just as simple as that. So there's a lot more to it as well. Um, so economics can go as big as, you know, population growth, um, things like um, demographics, you know, for certain kind of sectors, it, it could be stuff like traffic numbers as well. Um, it could be stuff like households, how many kids are being born in a, in a particular kind of, um, in how, in a particular kind of era, so like for example, in the 1900s, how many people were born then and in the 2000s, how many people, are, you know, uh, I guess you could say, how many people are expected to be born? So it's stuff like that, um, that in, uh, in economics, so it could be that big or it could be as small as, you know, who uses Netflix? Why would they use Netflix? And it could be like, when you, when you kind of say like that, it could be simple as COVID outside. So a lot of people need to stay in at home. So a lot of people will be more likely to use Netflix. That's what it kind of basically is about. So it's a lot. I've kind of, you know, put into a couple of sentences, but it's a lot more complicated than that. But um, it's, it's quite big. It's quite big. And I think a lot of people would actually enjoy it if they were to kind of actually understand what's going on. Um, but it's a bit difficult. It's just, you know, um, something that's hard to kind of break into in the first place. But it's interesting to read. No, economics is powerful stuff, man, because I've been learning that in, at university. I do accounting and finance at the moment. And... The more I study economics, the more I kind of grow love for it because it's such a broad topic that can be applied to literally everything. You know, I was reading a book and it was talking about how there was this problem, right, at this time where people couldn't get, like, there was almost like a liquidity crisis for kidneys and they basically used information and artificial intelligence and economic principles to basically match people with the right genetics and the right blood types with the right people um, who had the, the the organs that suit that. And over time, they were able to get people organs a lot more faster than, you know, having to wait like a whole year long or two years, six months. And, you know, that's just a, a small glimpse into how powerful economics can just be. And that's what I also love about your Twitter threads as well, because it's clear that you've molded that lesson that you learned from private school into your approach with educating others because a lot of the time people love to educate other people on, on on twitter but they do it in 
a very egotistical fashion where they just throw around a bunch of big words and by the time you've said the first big word people's ears they, they're, they're not listening to anything anymore it's just going into one ear straight out the other but what you do is you make it clear what you're, what you're going to talk about and then you break down the key words that people might not understand or if you're using abbreviations you make sure people know what those abbreviations are beforehand and that allows people to understand what you're talking about when they're reading it further um, further in and speaking of one of your twitter threads i saw that you posted a twitter thread i believe it was in march and you was talking about um an indicator that was predicted for every recession in the last 60 years uh, the two yield curves and I just wanted you to to give a little insight to the audience about you know what what yield curves are, the importance of them, and why they have predicted every recession. Yeah, most most definitely. Um, I think is um is something that I think a lot of people overlook. Like a lot of people quite generally have have no clue about the yield curves. And when I was kind of speaking about it, um, even when I was speaking to people at Will, for example, um, I told him like a year ago because he predicted there would be a recession. We both predicted that basically it was be a recession last year or at some point um mm. and basically i was like to him you know it's not going to happen soon because the yield curve isn't necessarily telling that story now let me explain what the yield curve is the yield curve is just in essence you know relationship between you know um you know borrowing money and basically how long you know the money's being borrowed for so um if you basically borrow money for about 30 years um the price you will get back for it is going to be a lot more because it's how long it takes for you to get that you know how long it takes for you to get your money back and if you're shorter, then of course you get less money because if you're giving someone, you know, I guess you could say, let's say I give you money today. Um, I said, I want my money back in, in, in five minutes. Then I can probably say, you know, I'll give you, you give me back the same amount, simple. Um, but then if you, I wouldn't say to you, okay, cool. You give me back the money in 20 years time. I might need, you know, some sort of reassurance that, you know, um, I'm giving you money for this long. I want to give some sort of benefits on the side as well. So I might say, give me a little bit more money uh, for you to own that or to for you to have that money for about 20 years um mm. and basically that's what it is and um it the curve itself is just i guess you could say a line or a curve um that basically plots like you know interest rates and, and interest rates which are yields um of the bonds that are basically being you know given so the bonds in essence is just what i said before about the relationship between uh money and time basically um mm. and um it plots the yields of that said bond with the, the same quality, so the same bonds, or let's say two-year UK bond, it plots that, but different kind of maturity dates. So whether it be two years, or ten years, or, or fifteen years, the same bond, but different like, years that like is basically expiring, um, or basically maturing. That's what they say. Um, so that's basically what it is in, in a nutshell. I don't know if I explained it properly, but basically what it means is so those two year curves that I actually spoke about, the two best ten-year one and the um, the three. I think it's the um, or OIS um, curve, which is the overnight index sort of curve. Um, but just, I'll keep it basic for the podcast. Actually, I'll go into more depth about the both of them. But the two-year, 10-year one basically is, um, you know, the two-year two bond and the 10-year bond basically compared with one another. So right now, I think it's back positive, but a few weeks ago, it was actually negative. So um, that basically means the bond markets are losing faith in the economy in the short term. So in the two-slash-10-year kind of term, the bond markets are losing faith in the economy and they think you know at some point you know it's it's basically worthless to, to give you a bond for two years because you know the price of inflation is going up so if i give you a bond for two years i basically make nothing or make a loss mm. um and it's basically the same as 10 years as well 
So that's how they kind of uh, see it. So it was minus something for a couple of days and it went back to normal positive. Now, the thing was with this two to 10 year curve is, as I said before, the last six times there was a recession, there had been a, a crossing of that curve. So the curve went below zero. Um, we saw this happen in 1980s, 1980, 1981, 1990, 90, 1999 slash 2001. So that's one. Um, we saw in 2005 slash 2006 as well. And then we saw in 2019, which led to COVID. So in the 1980s, um, we saw, I don't know if a lot of people know, but 1970s, there was a lot of high inflation due to oil. Um, so a lot of the oil com countries were holding America hostage. Um, and of course it was causing them issues, causing issues throughout the whole Europe that then led to the recession. And then we had like a little bit of a flash crash that happened at some point in the 1980s that led to a recession as well. Um, you got to kind of think of it whenever these kind of the inversion happens, so when it goes below zero, it doesn't happen straight away. A recession doesn't happen straight away. Um, but a thing to kind of notice is that it normally gets back to normal. Then you have a recession. Then it goes underneath again, so it goes below zero again, and then it goes back to normal. So we saw this in like 1980s, where 1978 it inverted, went back to normal. 1980s recession, 1980 it kind of went underneath again, below zero. Then we had the recession like a year later. Um, happened again in 1988. Two years later, had a, a recession. Um, and then I think it's some, something that's quite key to kind of take note of. Even forget about 1980s, because sometimes some people think it's quite old. 2005, it happened before the actual big crash that happened. Um, happened the first time 2005, and then it happened again in 2006. Then 2007, we had the recession. And even though, I don't know, I want to say, I'm going to touch on, touch on this, but I don't want to kind of board around the kind of conspiracy theories kind of uh, curve. Nah, bro, to... this is a school of higher thought. You say whatever <laughs> it is you got to say. Come on, bro. Okay I'll, say, okay, I'll say it. Okay, cool. In 2019, when Trump is in power, the economy was great, right? Everyone, it was, it was greater than ever. But there was actually an inversion before the whole COVID situation had come about. So a couple months before it, I guess some people knew that something's going to happen soon and it's not looking good. Uh, a couple months later, we had COVID, um, COVID kind of pandemic happen, and then we had the recession. Um, so and then so we're having run not having run right now, but in 2020 we had an inversion as well. So I guess you could say at some point in the future it's going to be a crash, um, and you know. It basically is something that you know we have to take you know take note of. I guess after eighteen months normally is where you have a crash. So it might happen any time from now to about a year's time. I think the Bank of England is already saying there's going to be a recession at the end of this year. Um, so it's something you got to kind of take note of. But um, I want to kind of talk about the OIS curve as well, the overnight index swap curve, um, and that basically is investors' expectations as to where the like, they believe the Fed fund rate is going to go. Um, the Fed's funds rate, I don't know if anyone, I guess a lot of people wouldn't know it, but it's just basically, you know, when banks borrow each other, how much like that kind of cost would be. Um, and basically the Federal Reserve can kind of change that, basically that number. Um, and it's basically more accurate than what the two to 10 year run is, because it's basically just the traders expectations. So the bank the institution, they get to decide where this price is and that's it. Um, it's not like, like, you know, anything, it's not, See, I don't want to confuse the people listening, but with the two to ten year, it kind of can be included other stuff. You might, you know, take a loss or you take a hit um, because you know of budget constraints. It might have some noise because of treasuries. Um, it's got none of that. It's just pure expectations from the actual traders. Um, and both of them, I think, two short term curves were already inverted as well. 
Um, so the forward two to 10 year um, overnight index swap inverted. So did the two to 10 year yield curve invert as well. Um, and the one to 10, uh, 10 year yield curve invert, um, or steepened, sorry, steepened, which is the other way around, but it's basically the opposite and still bad as well. Um, so basically these things happen and you know it's, it's important to kind of take note of what's going on. A lot of people don't notice, but the bond market, what, what I've actually been talking about for the last like five minutes, is the biggest market um, that, I don't want to say you can trade, but it's the biggest market out of stocks, crypto, um, and forex markets. Um, is it forex markets? Probably not the same as forex markets, but it's bigger than stocks and, and crypto. Like, and when I mean big, like 10 or 100 times bigger than crypto markets. So it's massive. And if you want to know where the economy is going to go, you need to look at the bond market. Simple as it gives you the kind of the drop on every single kind of uh, expectation of how the economy is going. So that's the kind of bond markets and the, the curves in, 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 in a nutshell. I know I wanted to get into a little bit more kind of detail, but it's way too complicated for me to even break it down. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's let's step away from, like you said, the more technical side of things. I'm going to ask you a question. And in by the end of the year, I'll replay this snippet. Pip Dealer, are we going into a recession this year? Well, <laughs> see, you're putting me on the spot with that question, honestly. <laughs> I would say in certain countries, yes. I wouldn't say a global recession yet, but I'll say certain countries, yes. So we can't like the United Kingdom, I think, will probably get into recession. It's really been confirmed. It probably will. Um, Inflation is due to hit 10%. So it's basically impossible, like country, not companies, but companies are unable to kind of, you know, um, increase their profit margins. Um, which is always a, a danger. They can't pass that on to consumers. They also can't make much money either because inflation, pressures, you know, the price oh. of stuff like, like goods. So I would definitely say the UK is probably one of the first, especially since they hiked interest rates first as well last year. Um, I would say, I wouldn't say American, I, I'm not too sure 100% of the American recession or American economy rather, but I would say the UK, I, I probably think it will, will probably be in a recession at some point in, later on this year. That's very interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong. When it comes to the uh, CPI index, can't that be manipulated by, you know, the authorities attributing, let's say, the price of mints to the price of a stake and get away with kind of substituting prices for goods and services to be the same, which is kind of, I guess, lying about the actual inflation rate? They can, but not in the way you explained it, but they will just have to kind of say the way this changed it. They did change the CPI index, I can't remember when, which is bad on me, um, but it changed it. So in the 1980s, 1990s, in inflation was a lot worse than it is right now. Um, I think 1970s, 1980s. So when a lot of people quote, oh, it's the highest inflation rate since, you know, 1990, whatever, it's actually a lot, it could be a lot more higher because the, the way that inflation has been calculated in the UK, in the US, sorry, is a lot different to where it was back in the day. So they can basically, they can change it. They can change what's been calculated as inflation. Um, they can, of course, change the data, what's actually going on, because, you know, it's quite simple. People kind of see it when they go to the shop, how much things cost. But they can just change what's being considered um, in the basket. Because, you know, like let's say when the CPI comes out, there's no more CPI and the CPI excluding energy and food or something like that. Sorry, could you um, just break down what CPI is for those people who don't know? It's, it's, it normally means consumer price index. And it's just, in essence, inflation index um in, in every country really so um it's just the price of goods and how much they've changed over the last month or the last year so um yeah so if you go to the shop for example you go tesco you want to buy steak if steak goes from one pound to one pound fifty 
um, then of course that's inflation in action and the CPI should reflect that kind of change um, of how much the goods have cost, um, how much the, the, the price of goods have cost, um, how much they've changed over the let's say one month or one year. So that's basically in a, in a nutshell, it's not really uh, too complicated, but um, that's it. Like you can literally go and figure it out yourself. You go to Tesco's and stuff, it, all of a sudden it costs a lot more then why is it cost a lot more? Because inflation gone up. And how do you see the number of inflations? Isn't just CPI simple. Right. And um, you see, when it comes to, you know, observing the CPI, uh, FOMC and other economic indicators on the fundamental aspect, how can somebody benefit from looking at these, these different factors and influences over the economy? Um, well, in essence, you have to figure out, oh, um, you have to know what the relationship between CPI and the dollar is. Um, so of course, um, and other stuff as well. So if inflation goes up, then that in essence, it, it can be good risk on assets. Now, I see the thing is, I don't want to confuse guys, right? Because it can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing as well. Nah, nah, um, nah, 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 nah. Don't hold back, bro. We don't do that over <laughs> here. Don't hold back. All right, cool. <laughs> I'm gonna give an example, right? When inflation was going up skyrocketing last year, um, let's say towards the end of last year, we saw the prices of st stuff like Bitcoin and SP500 go to all time highs, like a skyrocketing. Um, but of course the exact same thing is happening now, we're still continuing to go up, but we're seeing a different picture. Inflation is still going up, even though it's gone up last year as well, the, the effect is different. And the reason why that's the case is because the Federal Reserve is now coming in to step in to kind of fix that inflation problem. So they decided to use a lot of interest rates um, to kind of hike it. They stopped tapering, so they stopped printing money. Um, to kind of to kind of stop this and the market's not reacting well to it um and inflation basically is more money printed basically not money more money printed but more the, the price of stuff going up and that's normally affected by the fact that you know more money's being printed in the economy so the m2 money supply skyrocketed went up by eight trillion dollars um so that being the case meant that there was a lot more money in the economy so a lot more money in the markets you know for you to trade for you to make money uh, money from and when inflation was going up everybody is happy because you know there's more money flowing into the, into the economy but then when that stops basically when the federal reserve said they're going to start fighting it everybody's kind of gasping to the shores and saying we got like you know roll back a little because if they stop tapering then you know the the money's going to get the quality's going to get sucked dry from the market so we need to get ahead of it so they decided to kind of you know close positions and whatever and um now we can see as inflation goes up every cpi number uh, number release so does the price uh so does the price of bitcoin and sp500 go the other way so inflation was 8.5 percent we saw bitcoin and sp500 sink so in these kind of inflation inflationary conditions environments what normally happens is investors move their money from risk on assets to risk off assets so they take their money from risky assets such as bitcoin and move it to stuff like gold and cash why because you know you're going to those kind of stocks wherever you're holding is going to be affected by the fact that there's a lot more inflation so companies won't perform as well because they they won't be able to make as much money like you know let's say right now tesco's tesco's might move the price of their milk from you know i guess one pound to one pound fifty um but they might have to pay more to get that milk from the farmers they might have to pay let's say 90 pence and then you go and buy one pound fifty and because the inflation is affecting you as well you can't afford to buy as many milk as you normally would so um everything gets affected in the inflation environment so everybody's just moving money from more risk on assets to the risk of assets to be more safe and you don't want to lose money right the, the most important thing is to make sure you have money at the end of the day not to lose it on risky bets and that's why you're seeing everything just skyrocketing everything's going not skyrocketing everything's like tumbling down from sp500 to the nasdaq to the bitcoin 
any, any risk on assets is going down. That's very, very interesting. So I like how you broke down the way inflation and the yield curves are quote unquote indications of a pending recession. What are, what are some other indications that you've, you've seen that kind of signal of a recession? Well, okay, cool. I'm going to say, um, a lot of, you know, um, I'm gonna give some reasons here, but the reason why I'm not going to go into more details, because I think a lot of it is, you know, by itself, it's something that you know you can't use as a predictive recession. You can use it to say there's something wrong with the economy, but you can't necessarily say you use a predictive recession. But a lot of these things in context can say, yeah, there's something wrong with the economy. Um, but I'm gonna go into kind of there's lots of reasons, right? So I'm just going to kind of you know briefly skim over all of them. Um, so first of all, most the debt to GDP ratio is the highest it's ever been before. Um, you know, whoa, 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 whoa! Break that down for people. Break that down for people. Because when you use abbreviations, people may not be aware. So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure everyone knows what GDP is, but um, GDP is just basically, you know, the country and its growth. So, how much is growing on a year basis, on a monthly basis? That's what it basically is. And debt is, you know, if you don't know what debt is, then I guess you know you go and get something sorted out over there. But debt is just basically <laughs> what else. Um, so yeah, the debt to GDP ratio, um, in essence is the highest ever been. We have the largest amount of debt we've ever had. I think we have about 200 trillion, um, wow. of debt, which is, you know, very much unsustainable. This has been going up, um, since 2009. Um, and of course in 2009, uh, 2008, sorry, we had the highest debt to GDP ratio of all time at that time. And that of course led to, um, the recession. I'm not saying there's, is a relationship between the two. But I'm saying it's, it's possible with that being the case. Um, we have um, stuff like real earnings yield, the lowest ever. So the amount people are making from their stocks is a, is, is a lot lower than ever before. Um, we're seeing weaker consumer sentiment. People are um, going to the shops to buy food or to go to the shops to buy, you know, let's say anemones a lot less than they did before in the past, which is affecting um, companies because companies can't, of course, make a good profit if people are not buying their product. So yes, people are buying milk and eggs and there's necessities, but no one's really buying anything above that because they don't have the money to do it, to be able to do so. Um, to find that out, I think it's the Michigan Consumer Sentiment Chart that kind of says that. Um, well, um, there is, um, you know, as you can see, the market's bleeding. Uh, the SP 500 is down like 12% year to date. Uh, the NASDAQ is down like 20% year to date as well. Um, we're of course seeing the lowest amount of bulls in the market since 2016. Um, a lot of people are parking off their money um, in, I guess, in the case that there is a recession. And I guess if you want to kind of, you know, be ahead of the curve, you need to look at what institutions are doing. I think is a, I can't remember, a report came out that said that there was 3 billion on the sideline waiting for, um, you know, there to be a recession or whenever there's kind of like a dip and they'll get involved. Wow. Um, we have unsustainable levels such as the Russell 3000, which is a index full of a basket of stocks. Um, there's loads of, there's a ton of uh, stocks and I think it's like, um, in that kind of basket of stocks, 559 of them at that time when I wrote the kind of thread, from what I can remember, 559 of them were below 50% of a 52 week high. So a lot of the stocks were suffering from way before and a lot of people weren't paying attention to it. In the same Russell, 2,288 stocks, which is 75% of the whole stocks of the whole index were 10% down below the 52 week high. So the index was seriously bleeding. And at the time, wow. I guess in late 2021, the only thing that was holding up the markets 
was Facebook, Twitter, Fang, basically. Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, Apple, um, what have I missed? Basically, all the big tech companies basically were holding Basically, the it up. top dogs. Yeah, the top dogs were holding it up, basically. Um, so now, now that the top dogs aren't performing as well anymore, we're starting to see the markets bleed. Uh, well, we have supply chain issues, such as, you know, I guess towards the end of last year, there was a lot of ports just piling up in, in California Harbor. Is it California? Yeah, I think it was California or LA Harbor. Um, because, you know, people are trying to get goods into America, but then there's just such a buildup. So it's causing issues. I've uh, been able to get goods into America. So that means when people order stuff online, for example, they can't get it as quickly as possible, which affected companies like Bed Bath and Beyond and Nike. I think Nike lost about, was it 6%? It was six percent. I can't remember, but they had to kind of lower the production of iPhone 13 because you know of the fact that they couldn't, you know, get the stuff from, let's say, I guess you could say China and put it into and bring it into America to sell to other people. Um, well, we'll see. We saw an increase in empty money supply from a 15 trillion to 21 trillion, which means there was lots of money in the markets and way more than it should be. Um, whereas price of oil was is but is gone past the price of $100. Um, that's always a, a, a huge um, warning sign because during the 1970s, the price of oil was was way high um, because, you know, they were messing around with the price of oil because, you know, these OPEC countries wanted a lot more money from um, America and the rest of the world. That then led to recession in 1979. It didn't lead, but it was one of the causes. The Iraq revolution was a big cause. Was Iraq or Iran? One of them. I'm not too sure entirely, which is bad on my part. Um, we also sold the price of oil it was it could droop, uh, it was 150 dollars i think it didn't quadruple but it was 150 dollars in 2007 2008 um so that's another kind of sign where there's something wrong so a lot of people are moving the money from bitcoin sv500 to oil gold um we also had tapering which was basically 15 15 trillion dollars to 21 trillion dollars uh we had the world war three potential issue um which is of course slowing down a lot of things you know ukraine russia potential the potential of Russia controlling Ukraine wheat, um, their own uranium, um, such as oil and gas over Europe, having that kind of dominance, and they're now an active, you know, active enemy of America that can have an issue as well with the global economy, especially they decide to kind of, you know, pull away from the petrodollar and move to their own kind of thing. Um, we had the two to two to 10 year kind of yield curve inverting. We had the 20 to 30 year yield curve inverting as well, which is really, really bad because it shows, you know, risk long-term discomfort with the economy um and we had what's called we had covid that's put also an issue as well we saw shanghai going to like a, a zero covid lockdown if that spreads over to united kingdom and we have something that's as deadly as it was before also a big issue um and yeah that's it really i think i kind of spoke about everything i could in that kind of few minutes but that's a lot of reasons Bro, why you buried that that was amazing Okay, people are gonna have to rewind that. <laughs> Thank you. Hey guys, as I said, classes and sessions, you better be taking notes. <laughs> Thank you. But continuing from that, um, the whole Russia situation is insane, man. Just just watching it unfold is like watching a movie unrolling in real life. Like you know, when you read history books and you're seeing about the Cold War, uh, World War Two, we're seeing like events that were going on back then playing out now and yeah. it's happening in real time but what's interesting is that in every single point of history where events like this have happened there's been major opportunity to take advantage of it and come out of it better whereas there's a lot of people who don't take advantage of it 
and they always come out, well, almost always come out worse than they went in. So is there something that you're currently doing to ensure that you come out of it better? Or is that something that you're not really too focused on at, at this point of time? Well, I guess I can speak about it. Um, I will speak about it. Um, so a lot of the stuff I'm doing is taking short bets on a lot of the risk on assets. I think that's the key part right now is, you know, if you're going to look at recession, if you know there's a recession going to come up, why would you not kind of make sure you can make money both sides of the way? A lot of people want to wait till the dips actually happen before they get into it, but why not get into it when it's on its way down? So I've kind of taken a lot of short bets on the SP500, on Bitcoin. I've been quite bearish with them for the last few months, and I've, I'm still holding the Bitcoin position for like 44,000 or something along those lines, I can't remember. Um, and I'm just basically waiting for that to kind of go down to as low as possible, and then I can buy up again. So I close that position and I buy up. I think right now is a bit of a precarious time. I don't want to tell people to do anything right now because investing in anything right now is going to be a risky bet. So it's best to kind of just, you know, um, take short bets, you know, look to kind of um, sell off until whenever it's possible. Every time it, you know, bounces up, just sell it. Um, sell it until you know you start to hear people actually recognize the recession. Simple as right now, everybody's kind of brushing it aside, saying it's not recession. Just like how they said that inflation was trans transitory, they said, "Oh, it's not true. It's not real. Don't worry, we're not looking at it." Then they start to say, "Oh, it is." Then they start to say, "Oh, don't use the word transitory anymore." And now they start to say inflation is a real issue. That's what to have a recession. Mm -hmm. At first, it will be a thing where they might say, "Oh, it's not going to happen," or it's potentially going to happen, and then they might say, "Okay, it's going to happen," and they say, "It's going to." Then it's going to say, "We're here." So you want to just take a short bet until that kind of moment of time. Um, I would say when it gets around the time, I can't give you a perfect time, but you know, um, around certain times, it'll be time. It'll be wise for you to close a certain position and to start buying up things. And when I mean buying up things, invest in anything that you like. Generally, um, if you like stocks, um, invest in that. If you like crypto coins, invest in that. If you like, you know, what's it called forex. If you like trading forex, invest in that too, um, or trade that rather. Um, that's the time basically, basically to get everything. I'll say even, you know, I'll say other stuff, let's say property, I wouldn't even look to get in around that time because if you have interest rates at astronomically high levels, you don't want to kind of get into stuff like that um, or get into mortgages or, or credit cards at, at that point. Um, but you want to kind of just make sure you focus on getting money at that period. Um, and it's not as hard as a lot of people might think, you know. The only issue is time to dip. You don't want to buy when, you know, you don't want to buy that now, for example, when it goes and sinks 33% more. You're gonna lose a shit ton of money, um, but you do want to kind of try and get in at some point. Don't try to time it because if you time it, mm. you'll get it wrong because you don't know if that's a like a bad dip. You don't know if it's gonna be um, a thing that's not gonna last. So you just want to buy in at some point and just keep trying to buy it as soon as it kind of keeps climbing and things start to look better. Um, that's that's all I can say really. For me, I'll just say sell sell most not most but sell some of the stuff you can hold you, you possibly can trade sorry so like sp500 bitcoin risk on assets is what you want to sell uh and then you want to start if you want to kind of do it at the same time like a hedge oh that's not even this one the hedge so i would say it's the wrong thing but if you want to kind of you know do something else that isn't those kind of things you want to buy stuff buy gold uh buy kind of risk off assets carry cash don't carry the pound carry the dollar um carry things that are risk off so yeah stuff like that in certain there's certain forex pairs the CHF that do quite well during certain periods. Um, so that's basically what we're gonna do really. Um, but risk of assets are of the things to kind of invest in if you wanna invest in anything. But mm. if you don't invest in it, it's, it's more, you're more than welcome to just wait, wait until the dip is, gets a lot better, things get a lot worse, sorry. And then when it starts to look like it's getting better, just buy in and you know hold. And that's I promise very, you- very, very interesting. 
yeah, just hope for a couple moments you'll make you make a good ton of money. So due to the amount of knowledge that you have entirely, I don't think it's wise for me to think that crypto is the only asset class that you're invested in. So if it's not too personal, where else are you planting your money? And how else would you, I guess, I don't want to say advise because that has bad connotations, but <laughs> how have you structured your portfolio across different asset classes? Well, majority of my money is stored in ETF, so which is exchange exchange traded wow. funds. So, not um, many people our age are majority invested in ETFs. That's the first. <laughs> I mean, the reason why I did it is because I can't be bothered with these things, right? You know, I rather just leave it to a, a banker who would, of course, um, invest this money in and put it in the right places than me kind of having to micromanage everything. And even then, it's a lot more expensive for me to do it all. So, like, if I want to buy a bond, for example it's not going to be cheap is it and for me to make a return from that bond it won't be cheap but if i was to go and you know let's say um, a certain company let's say blackrock blackrock offers a lot of etfs that's good blackrock you say you know i want your kind of risk of assets um etf they might give me several like bonds and this and that i'll just invest in it and i chill back so i might put let's say let's say i have a thousand pounds i might put let's say uh let's say i might split to four or i might spend to five and say you get one one fifth of this risk of asset one fifth, one fifth, one fifth, one fifth. And in case the markets go better, I might say one fifth, you put in, let's say, risk or risky assets such as Bitcoin or uh, or really risky stocks such as tech stocks. Um, so a lot of my money is in ETFs. So I say I had to split off like that. Um, but of course, I have stuff in, like, let's say, property. Um, I have um, a few investments here and there, I guess you could say, like traditional investments on, in businesses that haven't really quite made it off the ground as of yet. So I'm waiting for it to come out the ground. I would say trade a forex, but I do that whenever I'm just seriously bored or it's a news kind of thing. So I don't want to say that. Having stocks as well, I think the thing is stocks is a key one because you know a lot of people don't realize this. But if you were to die today, you know you can't pass on your crypto assets in any sort of liable way because you know it's not legally counted as a proper asset. But if I was to die today and I have a will, I can say you know I want half my stocks to go to my my kids, or half my stocks to go to my brothers or my parents. Um, so I think it's a lot. I think it's a quite important that a lot of people start to use stocks uh, well, as a way. Go to like let's say a traditional broker, stock broker, and invest your money in there. Really, um, but yeah, that's what that's what I normally do. I just leave my money into there and I just let it kind of pile up, make make money, and that's it. A lot of people want to kind of do it themselves, but I should for sure go and do that. But it's a lot more expensive to not use the ETF, and it's a lot more micromanaging. You have to be there every day to look at how your stuff, your your investments working out. Um, but yeah, that's it really. Favorite ETF at the moment. Sorry, What's your favorite ETF at the moment. My favorite ETF. Um, so I have a few. Um, my favorite ETF normally is the um, I'm invested in the emerging markets ETF, but it's performing quite poorly right now. Um, so I'm not even going to talk about that right now. But my favorite ETF has to be, I think it's the bond, um, strategic bond one that I had. Um, I'm not too sure what it's not what it's called properly, but it's not by um, BlackRock or JP Morgan or one of the big ones, but yeah, so there's another one I have as well. That's my favorite one. It's called um, Bailey Gifford is the company. It's an investment management company. They do ETFs and they have a ETF called um, Positive Change or something like that. Um, and I think it's quite key for me because, you know, green energy, so on and so forth. I want to be invested in that kind of thing mm -hmm. and they kind of help me do that. Um, so they kind of get a basket of all the kind of um, big green stuff or things that are doing, companies that are doing good for the world. 
and they kind of you know put together oh, I'm just investing and just leave it like that so that's something that I also like as well um that's another one I like so it's Bailey Gifford and there's another one a bond one I can't remember off the top of my head but um some of the bonds are doing quite well some of them I'm not doing right good right now because inflation right it's, it's affecting a lot of people's pockets even the bond markets as well bro right when you said that you're invested in emerging markets I felt your pain because currently I'm invested in two index funds S&P obviously and emerging markets Asia bro when I went to check my fidelity the other day that was down 11 percent I was like what <laughs> yeah I feel you I mean I'm invested in a in a ETF um it's not emerging markets ETF it's a I don't even know some lady called Kathy Wood yeah 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 Kathy Wood she's she's an amazing investor yeah I'm yeah. invested in one of those stocks that are down like 60 percent or 50 percent something ridiculous um that I just basically have to watch even when the market's going up I was just down and it's just you just have to watch it can't really be much about it um but I was invested in that but even recently I took some shorts on an emerging markets ETF called ECH and um ECH and E something W EWZ sorry EWZ so Brazilian and the Chilean um markets because you know I didn't really think it's going to perform quite well and it's, it's doing quite well really both of them ETFs are down so I'm making money on you know Brazil and Chilean economy is going down um, yeah so that's, well that, that makes a lot of sense sorry to get you to break something down again but people have to know because I feel like people our age are so kind of wide for immediate gratification that when it comes to asset classes crypto is the only one that they can perceive because it's the one that's known to be able to give these hyper percentages that traditionally would take maybe years to accumulate so what are the differences what's the difference between a bond an etf and an index fund and why <laughs> should people put their money in them because honestly people are probably going to hear this and think why would i want to put my money in there when i can just invest in crypto um yeah for more, for sure i mean crypto of course is it's not tried fi it's not traditional finance it's a lot more kind of new a lot more growth a lot more money to be made in that kind of aspect so by all means if you can actually you know make money in there go for it um but index funds is a lot different each index fund and etf in essence are basically the same thing like an index fund could be etf or a mutual fund and it's just basically you have the sp500 which basically tracks in essence is a good barometer for the u.s economy you know if the sp500 is going up then the u.s economy is probably going to do is doing quite well at that current moment time you also have the russell 22000 we have the nasdaq um it's just basically tracks like let's say an index and these indexes have a ton of stocks in it so if you want to get invested in you know facebook uh amazon twitter all the biggest companies in, the, in america you can just invest in sp500 simple as um and if it goes down you, you make money if it goes down you, you lose money um so there's that the bonds well i think it's a lot it's a bit difficult for me to explain bonds because a lot of people don't necessarily understand what bonds are but i think bonds um the way i can basically explain i think i kind of explained it before to be honest um and what's it let's say let me explain how i want to say it so basically, you know, if you were to come to me, for example, um, you said basically, Pip, I wanna, I wanna start a new company soon, but I need money. Um, but I don't want you to invest in it. I want money that you can, you know, I can give back to you at some point later in the day. Um, so yeah, what I might do to you is I say, I'll give you 10,000 pounds, you know, um, when that company kind of grows, um, you know, you give me that money like every like month or two. So when you're making profit, I take some money back. So that's basically what bond is. It's basically where someone, invest someone in lends money to somebody else 
and they make money on that kind of um, bond every so often, so every month or every two weeks or every whatever. Um, so that's what basically is. And then of course, at the end of the bond, um, so when it might be expiring two years time, I get more money back. So I might give you 10,000 pounds, you give me 500 pounds each month. Um, at the end of two years, you give me that 10,000 pound back and I have all the 200 pound I made in that kind of, um, that period of time. Um, so that's basically it. You can get from a gov government, you can get from a company um, and it's everything really. Um, and of course, a good thing with bonds as well is if you're on a bond of a company, if the company goes under, you are going to be the first person who's going to get paid because, you know, it's debt basically. Bond is basically debt. You owe debt to somebody else. And a lot of companies, um, a lot of people try to do takeovers through debt. I don't want to get into that right now, but, um, you know, they might own a significant amount of bonds of a specific company and they'll try to use that debt because they can churn, turn that bond into a stock. So they, like, for example, let's say Twitter, for example, Twitter, I don't think owns any debt or has any debt, but Elon Musk, let's say he owned, let's say, 5 billion worth of uh, Twitter, Twitter um, debt, Twitter bonds. He can transform that bond into a stock and then he can use that to buy, buy the company um, because you have a lot more shares now. So bonds are quite big. It's a quite big thing, um, but that's what it basically is. So bonds is just that. An ETF, you can have an ETF that is, attracts anything. It could track stocks. It could track a bond. It could track a Forex market. No, it can't track Forex market from what I know. Maybe just, you know, when people are trading it, the, the, the movements and that, it could track that. Um, but in essence, it's just easier. These ETFs just makes it a lot easier for, for you to invest in things. 